Father, Lord, we thank you for your Sabbath that you've given us. Lord, we have a great responsibility coming up upon us this next month with America and Bible prophecy. Lord, there are people that are hungry for your truth, that are hungry for your word. And Lord, we hope that your word will be presented in a way that they would be filled. Lord, today we ask that your spirit would be here. We think especially of the Arms family as um, they had some issues this morning medically. We ask that you would be with them, be with Heidi especially just now. Lord, be with um, the Carol and Eric as they're in Florida, and we hope to see them soon. Father, we hope to see um, Holly and Alan as well. We miss them. Father, there are many here that are there are many there are many today that are not here, but we thank you for the ones that are here today. Lord, we ask that wherever our members may be scattered about, that you would be with them, especially on your Sabbath day. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the Prince of Thieves. Now, this is not a reference to Robin Hood, for those of you that are wondering. This is talking about a man in the Bible that if you count all the different names that the Bible has for this man, there's about 40 of them. 40 different names. Now, 40 different names in the Bible might give away who that this person is or who this being is. We're going to start on that in just a minute. But normally, when you hear that the pastor is going to be talking about the commandment stealing, a lot of you will immediately think, I know what the pastor is going to be talking about today. He's going to be talking about tithes and offerings. Well, that's not the whole point of the message today, although that is a relevant topic. But before we get started, I just want to turn to a verse in Malachi, and we're going to talk about tithes and offerings for just a brief few minutes, and then we're going to discuss something that is also just as important as our tithes and offerings. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, and it might be a passage that's familiar to many of you, especially as this quarter's um, um, Sabbath school lesson has been on stewardship. But Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, tells us something very interesting. Malachi 3.8 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God here challenges us to test him on this matter, doesn't it? You know, if you look at the mathematics when you're doing your bills at the end of the month, whatever it may be, but if you went to a financial advisor and it was a non-Christian financial advisor and you talked about your finances, I'm going to be very upfront and honest with you, it does not make sense to tithe. Mathematically, it doesn't make a lick of sense. But I have found that as I have been faithful to God, who owns the cattle on the thousand hills, that he is faithful to me as well. Although it might not make mathematical sense for tithes and offerings, it makes sense in God's eyes. Amen. And if we are faithful to him, he will be faithful that you do not have need for anything, that you will always have food and that you always have a roof over your head. But today I want to talk about something a little bit deeper than this. And we're going to, I'm going to lead you on a little bit of a story here, a storyline. And it's going to it's going to take a minute for you to realize how this has to work with the commandment, thou shalt not steal. 
But just bear with me, and it'll all come together at the end. We're going to start by going to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and here we find something. It's one of my favorite moments in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look here at verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26, God had created many different things. He spoke and it was done. And in Genesis 1.26, we find something incredible. And this is what we find. Genesis 1.26 says this. And God said, let us. What kind of word is us? It's plural, right? And God said, let us. So he's having a conversation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. So here we have God, and God decides to create man in what? His own image. Very good. And so then we find, just a chapter later, how God does this, how he created man and woman. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. This is a beautiful passage, and this is what we said. We see, and the Lord God formed man, this is mankind, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living what? Here we find that God, in all other instances of creation, spoke and it took place. When it was time to create mankind, when it was time to make somebody after his own likeness, did he just say, let there be Adam? What did he do? He formed it with his very own hands. Now, that's a very intimate moment if you think about it. But as God was there and was forming Adam out of the dust of the earth, and as he formed Eve in a very similar passion, he breathed into their nostrils what? The breath of life. Now, very often we think this is wonderful how God created Adam and Eve. But do you think he spent time on creating you? Did God only do this with Adam or Eve? Or do you think that he created you and formed you as well? In fact, I know that he did. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But the very breath that you're breathing right now, where did it come from? It came from God himself. Now, I'm not saying that God is living within you because that's pantheism, right? But the breath that you are breathing is breath that comes from who? Every moment, every morning when you wake up and you breathe in and you breathe out and you have life in your heart and you've got a spark in your eyes, it's a gift from God. Amen. God not only created you, but he has a purpose for you. Amen. We're going to see that here. Go with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter one. That's the book right after Isaiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter one and Jeremiah and Jeremiah chapter one is introducing himself. And Jeremiah introduces himself a little bit differently. You know, when men introduce themselves, we tend to go, hey, how are you? What's your name? What do you do? Right? It's all about what we do, right? Females are very similar to that. But when Jeremiah introduces himself, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm Jeremiah and I'm a prophet. But he introduces himself all the way back to this point. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4. Look what it says. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am only a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for you 
will go to all that I shall send you. And whatsoever I command you, you will speak. Be not afraid. So when Jeremiah is introducing himself in this book, he says, I'm Jeremiah. And he started all the way back to when God created him. And I think that's really important. Before Jeremiah was a gleam in his father and his mother's eye, God knew who Jeremiah was, didn't he? And not only did God know who Jeremiah was, and not only did God form him and make him unique, but God had a purpose for Jeremiah, didn't he? Before Jeremiah was even born, God had sanctified him to be a prophet of God. What a calling, amen? I believe that this isn't unique to Jeremiah, but I believe that God has made you individually for who you are today, and I believe that he has ordained you for a certain purpose. Now, I cannot tell you what that purpose may be, but God has a plan, God has a purpose that is unique to you, and only you can fulfill that role. Isn't it amazing that God, who has so many different things to worry about, a God that has all of his, all of the, all of the salvation of people on earth at, at, at stake, and he's trying to save them all, and he's got all these different things, that not a, not a sparrow falls, that he doesn't take note of it. And if God takes note of sparrows falling, how much more does he care about you? That's just the wonder and amazing thing of God. That he can be in all those places at once and he can know all those things at the same time. That he knows the amount of hair on your head. That's a different level, isn't it? So God not only formed you, but he has appointed you as a, as a certain person with a certain work. He may have called you to be a mother. He may have called you to be an elder in the church. He may have called you to be a good husband or wife. He may have called you to be a nurse or a teacher or a mechanic or whatever it may be. God has ordained you to be somewhere at a certain place and we should make the most of it. Amen. He might not have ordained you to be a prophet, but he ordained you to be one of his witnesses. Let's look at a few more here. The Bible's full of them. Let's go to Psalms chapter 139. Psalms chapter 139. I love what David alludes to here. And it's so clear. Psalms 139, we're going to look here at verse 13. And in the King James, it uses the word reigns. Reigns in the original translation simply means a skeleton or the, or the form of a body. Psalms 139, and we're going to start here in verse 13. Notice what it says. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now, verse 15 is the part that I love, and it's unique from any other verse in the Bible I've ever read. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What he's talking about here is when an embryo is fertilized. In God's mind, when that embryo is fertilized, it becomes a living soul. That substance is a child of God. And I believe that is one of the greatest texts that we can have against abortion today. Just to stand on my soapbox for a minute, I believe that the Bible is extremely clear that abortion is something that should never happen. 
the same scientists on our planet today that say that a baby that is formed in a mother's womb is not life are the same scientists that go to Mars and find a cell and say that there's life there. Talk about a contradiction, right? But I believe that when that embryo is growing inside a mother's womb, that that is a living soul that God is forming right then and there. And that is a miracle. Science still doesn't know completely how all of this works. But God does. Because I believe that God is there. What a special bond that God has given a woman and a child. It's something that He ordained and it's special. But before all of that ever took place, God was forming you. God was forming your children. Your little ones might be little, but God has ordained them for a special purpose. It may be a pastor. It may be a missionary. It may be a pilot. It may be a doctor. Who knows what it may be, but God has ordained them to do great things for Him no matter what occupation they find. And the same goes for us as well. God knew and formed them. Now, pastor, where are you going? How does the, what does this have to do with thou shalt not steal? Hold on with just one minute. One more verse here, and then I'll be done with this part. But go to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 22. Give you a little hint. 1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, 22. 1 Corinthians 7, 22. Not only did God form you, Not only did God ordain you, but look what it says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 22 and 23. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not you the servants of men. Not only did God form you, Not only did God call you, not only has God protected you. You know, it it, it baffles me when I talk to people and I hear their testimonies over and over and over again. There's been a time or a moment in most everybody's life where they'll look back on that moment and say, I should have been dead. Have you had that situation in your life before? I think almost all of us in this room have. There was a point at some part in our lives where we should have died. Whether it was a car accident, maybe it was a medical issue, I don't know what it is, but God protected you and you're alive today for a reason. And God has you here to do something great. And if you don't know what that is, plead with Him to know what. And as you do know, you will do great things. But not only did God do all this, but God bought you as well, didn't He? You know, this weekend, there will be thousands, if not millions of people that are celebrating one event. Easter Sunday, right? Yesterday was Good Friday. And over this period of time, there will be people that come into church that maybe don't most of the time because it's Easter Sunday. But my friends, no matter where people are in their walk with God, no matter whether they're churchgoers or not, God has still called them. Amen? God has still ordained them and God has not given up on them. God has bought us with a price and He did that when He died on the cross for our sins 
And not only did he do it when he died on the cross for our sins, but he proved his power over sin when he resurrected Easter Sunday morning. What a privilege, amen. God has done all of these things for us, and then we find something interesting. Go to the book of Ezekiel. This is where we start tying it in with the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Ezekiel is right before the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 28 and verse 11. And as soon as you get there, you'll probably know this verse. It's a very popular one. Ezekiel chapter 28, we read of a man who is the king of Tyre. But then if you read on a little further, you'll notice that this king of Tyre was all the way back in Eden, and the king of Tyre didn't exist yet in Eden. So what is this talking about? The king of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 28 is a symbol of one being that we know today as the devil or Lucifer. The king of Tyre back in those days was a man that had an alliance with Jerusalem. In fact, the king of Tyre worked with David and Solomon to give them materials for the temple. But over a amount of time, the king of Tyre got so rich and wealthy and there was so much trade going on that he fell away from his alliance with Israel and in fact eventually became an enemy of it. Very great symbolism for the devil himself. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 11 says this, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up the lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, or the devil, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then it talks about all of those different things. We're not going to take the time to read that. But verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covers... And I have set you so that you are upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in the way from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. God created Lucifer as well, didn't he? Now, trick question here, but did God create the devil? No. God created Lucifer, and Lucifer created the devil. But when God created Lucifer, he did exactly what he had done with everything in the past. He made a perfect being with the power of choice, which involves a risk. And when he did that with Lucifer, Lucifer was lifted up because of his beauty. The very one, that anointed cherub that covers, a cherub that covers, if you know anything about the sanctuary, the heavenly or the earthly, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant right there had two angels that were overlooking the throne of God, right? The anointed cherub that covers was one that stood on the left or the right hand of God himself. So if you go to heaven, there are two anointed cherubs that covers, and one of those cherubs that covered on the right or left hand of God was Lucifer. And Lucifer fell from that high position in heaven to where he is today. Let's look at one more verse on this. We're going to find it in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. We find what this angel of light, Lucifer, becomes. Isaiah 14 verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Hear a word in there that repeated pretty often? He had an eye complex, didn't he? And as he continued to want to lift himself up, as he continued to want to make himself even higher than God himself, he looked to steal the reputation of God. And when the devil was cast out here on earth, he started looking around for something else that he could steal. And you know what the currency is that the devil is trying to steal? It's you. It's me. Now we're going all the way back to that commandment in Exodus 20. Thou shall not steal. The devil is the prince of thieves here on this earth today. And he isn't just looking to steal money. In fact, he'll give you money if that's what you want. He isn't looking to steal fame because if you want fame, he'll definitely give it to you. But the devil will do anything in his power to make sure that you're lost. Even if those are blessings in disguise. I read a book a little while ago, and I may have used this example before, but I was reading a book that was talking about the fire bombings of London. And both sides in World War II used these fire bombings. The Germans used them on Britain. The American forces and the British forces used them on Germany. We used them on Japan until we've got the atomic bomb. And one thing that I realized while I was reading this book about fire bombing was that more people, well, not more, but just as many people died from bombing as they did in bomb shelters inhaling poisonous gas from those bombs. And one day, there was a father who had his little girl, and this little girl was born, this was towards the end of the war, this little girl was born at right at the beginning, so all this girl had ever known was a war zone. And this little girl and her father were there, and they, the firebombing started to take place. And as this firebombing was taking place, the, the dad, there was no mother anymore, scooped up his little girl and ran towards a bomb shelter. And when the bomb shelter was, was closed, they closed the door. A little girl doesn't deserve to grow up like that. And as that little girl was there in that bomb shelter, she was there with her father and the minutes started ticking by and they could still hear the explosions outside. And the little girl noticed something. People were starting to get sleepy. And her eyes were starting to get heavy. Now, I love it. But you know when children are just starting to learn to talk? I love it when kids are just learning how to talk. And their grammar is wrong and they put things in the wrong order. You know? I love that. That's adorable. This little girl was just learning how to talk in that British accent. And as that girl was there inside that bomb shelter and as people were getting sleepy and a strange smell was coming into that bomb shelter, she asked her dad something that just touched me and it broke my heart. She looked at her father and said these words, Daddy, are we getting dead yet? And the father repeated, everything's going to be just fine. A few minutes later, she asked him again, Daddy, are we getting dead yet? She could barely talk, but yet she knew about all the death that this world had to offer. Well, very soon afterwards, the bombing ceased, and the father, with his girl in his arms, left the bomb shelter. 
but that little girl was very limp and she didn't make it through. Friends, often we think that the devil causes us to do very harmless sins. But the very same devil that is responsible for tempting you is the same devil that caused all that to happen. Every death, every disease, every atrocity that has ever taken place on this earth today has come from one man's throne. And that's the devil's. He goes by many different names. The dragon, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, serpent, king of Tyre, and the list goes on and on and on. But my friends, today my plea for you and the point of this message is this. God has created you so that He can have a relationship with you. Amen? God has created you so that He can spend eternity with you. God has created you for a purpose. Don't support the greatest theft on earth by allowing yourself to be stolen away by things of this life. There's another story of a man. And this man was the founder of a company that I know and love today. He was the one that invented Heinz tomato ketchup or catsup, however you want to pronounce it. I don't believe that anybody should put, I don't believe anyone's name belongs on a ketchup bottle but Heinz. That was the man's name, Heinz. He was the one that founded that company. And Heinz, the beginning part of his business there, was working, and a farmer came in with a big truckload of tomatoes and was being weighed on the scale so he could figure out how much that he owed them and all that good stuff. And Heinz was walking by, and he was just taking a look and making sure that everything was running smoothly and talking to his employees and just making a good appearance. And as he was walking by, he got to one scale, and he talked to his employee and said, how's it going today? And his employee looked at him, and he kind of smirked and said, we're getting in good weigh-ins today, sir. And Heinz looked at him and said, how do you get a good weigh What do you mean? And his employee looked at Heinz and said, well, when the farmer's not looking, you can always make the weight a little less than it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? What he was saying was that he was lessening the load or lying about the weight so that the Heinz company wouldn't have to pay the farmer everything that he was, he was worth, that he was due. And Heinz smiled at the man who had worked for him for many years and said, why don't you come with me? And so he did willingly, and he was, I'm sure, expecting a clap on the back and a job well done. And as they went into Heinz's office, they walked past it, and they went to the clerk's office, and Heinz said to the clerk, give him his last check because he's fired. He was shocked, the worker was. And the worker looked at Brother Heinz, and he said, how can you do this? I've worked for you for years. I don't get sick. I've always been on time. In fact, I've been early. I'm always here. I've never cheated you. I've done all these different things. I've been, I've been an example employee. I'm just trying to save you a little bit of money. And the owner of the company, Mr. Hines, looked at him and he said something and he said this. If you steal for me today, you'll steal from me tomorrow. And that is so true, isn't it? The devil attempted to steal from God and it didn't work. And today, he's trying to steal you from God. Let's turn to one more verse here. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. 
And it talks about something here. There's two different classes. Revelation chapter 20, we find the devil here. And there are two classes of people, which we're going to see here in just a minute. Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to start here in verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So after that resurrection that we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 4, we see all of those righteous, hopefully all of us, amen, by God's grace. All of us are there in heaven with Christ for a thousand years. And after that thousand years of judgment and God being on trial is done away with, heaven starts to lower towards earth where the devil has been on a thousand year time out, if you will. And as New Jerusalem starts to lower down, all of the unrighteous are resurrected and Satan tries to deceive them one last time and he's successful. Look what happens here in Revelation chapter 20 and we read this, verse 8. And shall go out, well, we'll start in verse 7. And when the thousand years expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. That phrase reminds me back at Abraham, where God says that your children be as the stars of the sky and as the sands of the sea. Verse 9, And they, being those which are deceived and lost, and they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed, surrounded, the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. My friends, we find that Satan is driven by theft. The devil knows that he's lost. The devil knows the scriptures probably better than any of us do. The devil knows that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus won. When he resurrected, it just was the cherry on top. He knows that he's doomed. At this point, the devil is just trying to take as much of us with him as possible so that he can hurt God as much as possible. And we find that he only has moments left in Revelation chapter 20. And as he does this, he still tries to attempt to steal the city of God. My plea for us today, friends, is which side of those walls of New Jerusalem are you going to be on? There is a ticket for heaven that has your name on it, sealed with the blood of Christ. And the devil is looking to try and steal that ticket and burn it. Don't let the devil whisk you away. Don't let him steal your soul. Because Jesus has created you. Jesus has ordained you. Jesus has loved you. Jesus has bought you. I normally don't go here, but I'm going to close on this thought. We're not going to turn there. But how many of you know the story of Hosea? Hosea was is one of the minor prophets, and he was a prophet of God. And God gave him a very odd command. And you can read this all in the book of Hosea. But God told the prophet of God to go and marry somebody. 
He told Hosea, the prophet of God, to go and marry a prostitute. What? But Hosea did. And time and time again in the book of Hosea, you find that Hosea is out doing his work, whatever he may be doing, and he comes home, and guess what, who he doesn't find there? His wife. And guess what he has to do? He has to take his hard-earned money or wherever he got it. He had to go and he had to find his wife and he had to buy her back. And then after some time, he'd come home again and guess what he'd find missing? His wife. He'd have to take his money, go find her, and buy her back. Over and over and over again, a prophet of God who had so much to do was worried about his home life so he couldn't focus and he was constantly trying to buy his wife back and gain her affection and time and time again she would go and sell herself back into harlotry. That's so often what we do today. God has purchased us with a price. Amen? And it wasn't just 40 pieces of silver. It wasn't just a few denarii. But my friends, it was with the blood of the Son of God. He came and He died on the cross for our sins, and yet so often we take that price that He paid and shed His blood for us, and we go and we sell ourselves back into sin. And over and over again, He comes looking for us. And if we let Him, He says, I'll take you back, and He purchases us again. And then we allow ourselves to fall away. My friends, there's going to come a point in history where probation is going to close. And there's not going to be any more turning back and going back and forth and back and forth. But my friends, I believe that for God's remnant day people, we are living in a time where that door of probation is about ready to close. We are living in a time where your decision is about ready to be final. And the books in heaven are going to close. And your fate is going to be sealed in those books. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't be like those when the ark closed and the rains came down and the floods came up. They drowned because they waited too long. Jesus is just around the corner. Probation is just around the corner. Don't let the devil steal your soul. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for Your gift of salvation. We thank You that You rose again, that we serve a living God. Father, we ask that today we would honor Your your wish that You would be our God and that we would be Your people. That's all that You've ever wanted. Help us not to sell ourselves constantly back into sin. But Lord, Help us to take the gift that you've given us and continue to hold on to you. We pray in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.